0: day message, but I have a the message that I got from the Lord, I believe, and so that's what we have to go with. Some days you do others day message, and some days you don't. But I will say this about my mom. When I was in my early teens, 13 or 14, we kind of lived in a rough neighborhood, and there would often be rival neighborhoods, want to fight with other neighborhoods, and in one particular day... Some little altercation happened, you know, I I could or may not have been involved, I I can't really remember. And this other neighborhood, the kids from this neighborhood says, we're going back to our neighborhood and we're bringing the whole gang and we're going to get y'all. Well, I couldn't let my, you know, my neighborhood down, could I? So I went home to get my baseball bat. We all dispersed and we said, gather everybody up, there's a war coming, you know. And that's just the way it was. And so I went and I got a baseball bat out of my room, and I was coming through the house. And Mama says, "Saw the look in my eyes," and she says, "Where, where are you going?" And I said, "Nowhere. I got to go." She said, "No, no," and she grabbed me by the wrist and was holding on. You know, where are you going? Where are you going? I said, "Mama, it's it's on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> you know, we're meeting at the schoolyard, and uh, the whole the the other neighbor sorts and such neighborhoods coming over, and they're fixing to be you know, and uh." She kept trying to talk me out of it, but she could see, even though I was a young man, I still you know, could wrestle away from her, and I was intent on it. And I, you know, I would suffer the consequences later, whatever they may be, but I was going, and she couldn't stop me. So what did Mama do? She went and got a golf club. Said, I'm, a, I'm right there behind you. <laughs> and my little brother, he grabbed something too, and, we, and you know what the funny thing is? Is when we got to the schoolyard, Everybody else's parents were there, too. There was moms all over the place, and there were weapons. And we was like 25 or 30 of us gathered together in that schoolyard. Guess what happened? Now I'll tell you later. Well, let's turn to our home scripture real quick. Lay your eyes upon it. Isn't there a song, Lay Your Eyes Upon Jesus, or something like that? Do you know when you open the Word of God, you're laying your eyes upon Jesus? Matthew 6, 33. I bet most of you could quote this without even looking at it. We're just going to to talk about the first part. It says, But seek ye first... The kingdom of God. Everybody knows what the kingdom of God is, right? It's where God's realm of influence is. It's God's people. We were once in the kingdom of darkness, but when we accepted Jesus into our life, we got translated out of that kingdom and into the kingdom of his dear son, which is God's kingdom. So seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you look in the New Living Translation, it says seek the kingdom of God above all else. And that word seek, that implies action, doesn't it? It doesn't just say, oh, yeah, I think how I live it. But no, you're seeking it. You're seeking the, the things of the kingdom of God. Sometimes you've got to just get out of your seat and say, I'm going to find the kingdom of God. You're here today because you're seeking the kingdom of God. Would you agree? Some of you may have got dragged here. <laughs> Maybe you're not seeking, but, but you're here for a reason. And today's message, if you got your sheet and you want to follow along, and the handy-dandy little fill-in-the-blanks is called, what is it called? Leading with Love. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Jonah, chapter 1. We'll talk about Jonah for a minute. You may have heard this when you were in children's church, or even in the nursery, about the fellow who got swallowed by the big fish. Well, let's see what really happened. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up and go. He said, Get up and go. Man, I could preach a thousand messages. We We could just stop and have church right there. Get up and go. When God talks to you, he's usually saying, Get up from where you are, and go. Get up and go to the great city Nineveh. Announce my judgment is against it because I have now seen how wicked its people are. So he's saying Nineveh is full of wicked people. The whole city is corrupt and gross sin. So why is God sending Jonah there? Why don't he just leave these wicked people to their own devices? Why don't he just leave them to their own fate? I say it's because God cares about wicked people. I'm glad he does. Or I wouldn't be here today. I'd probably be dead. God cares about wicked people. He says he he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want to see anybody die in their sins. That's why he's got a church. That's why he's motivating us to be passionate about the gospel. In verse 3 it says, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Jonah went in the opposite. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'm going this way. I'm going the opposite direction. So if he went the opposite direction of God, where was God? He was over in Nineveh. Why? I believe our God's just like that. He'll leave the 99 to go find the one. He cares about the wicked. Get it in your heart that, that now that we're on our high horse, now that we've been saved and justified and we feel so good about ourselves, we can look down on other people, you know. No. God saying, you were wicked and I saved you. Now turn around, Jonah, and go to Nineveh where the wicked people are. So you know how that turned out. Jonah got on a boat, you know, and headed in the wrong direction. How would that turn out for Jonah? Does anybody know that story? Well, maybe some of you are running from God right now. Maybe some of you are saying, I know God's telling me, He's been telling me for years to do this, or He's been telling me for years to be in the children's ministry. He's been, you know, He's been, He's been on me about this. He's been on me to get out of my lifestyle and to come and get my life right and so that my life can matter. He's been on me. So if that's you, and you're like Jonah, and you're running from the call of God on your life, you might need to scoot up on the front of your seat and listen to what happens. Because it goes on to say that right after that, a terrible storm arose on the sea. Now, these, they're on a ship with professional sailors, you know. They're used to storms. But this storm was so bad that they're despairing of life. And they're saying, what can we do? And they're throwing things overboard. Maybe that's... Maybe you're running from God, and there's just storm after storm, wave after wave, billowing over into what feels like your life. Maybe you can learn from this story. I don't know. Well, the people on the boat, they were, they were like praying. They prayed to different gods. They cast lots. They did everything. That, what, God, what, they knew it was God. They knew this was bigger than a man that's a regular storm. And so they were saying, God, what is going on? Why is this? And they figured it out. It's that guy Jonah over there. He's running from God. And you know what Jonah says? Yeah, it's me. And by that time, Jonah's feeling bad himself. You know, He's probably feeling terrible that he's running from God. And you know if you're running from God, you're feeling terrible. Back when you were running from God, you couldn't have fun running from God. (laughs) So Jonah, he had despaired to the point where he says, Yeah, it's me. Just throw me overboard. I'm no good. (laughs) And so Jonah's like, throw me in. Just go ahead and get it over with. But the people were like, well, we don't want to throw him in. But the storm kept on to the point where they said, well, God, he says throw him in. You know, if that appease you, and they chunked him right up in the, in the ocean, overboard. Of course, God wasn't finished with Jonah yet. It's a good thing God doesn't get finished with us when we would get finished with people. God, Jonah is running from God. He's going in the wrong direction. He's despairing of life the storms of life are hitting him he's down on his luck and now he's in the middle of the ocean with no boat but God wasn't finished. look God can turn do a miracle you understand God's a some of us hear this story and they say, well I heard that in children's church and, and as I've grown up you know uh, I don't really believe that anymore a whale or a big fish swallowing a guy he stand for three days in the well I don't you know, that just doesn't make sense to me. I, that's one of the reasons I left Christianity. Because they believe that kind of stuff. Let me ask you a question. Where was you when God flung the universe into existence by the word of his power? You don't think God can make a man live for three days in the belly of a fish if he can create a universe? We're thinking with our little pea brains. Our God is bigger. He can do anything. All those things the They're crossing over the Red Sea. All the miracles that you just say, oh, it really didn't happen. And you see the History Channel trying to, you know, figure out how it might have happened. Well, the Red Sea wasn't about that tall when they went across. No. Our God is able to do what he wants to do. And if he wants to keep a man alive in a well for three days, he can do it. And he's in the belly of this fish. and And that fish goes down to the bottom of the ocean for three days before Jonah really repents and says, God, I've made a mistake. I should have listened to you. Do you need to have to go all the way to the bottom of the ocean in your life before you repent? Why don't you just go and do it right now? Because as soon as he repented, God told the big fish to spit him up on the beach, and he did, had seaweed all over him, yucky. He comes out, and man, he's, he's excited. He's repented. He's feeling like a new person. He's in the sunshine again. He's not in the depths of despair. And there he is. And then God says, I told you to go to Nineveh. God didn't change his purpose because he had went the long way around. God still has a purpose for your life. Probably the original purpose he had before you made this detour. And so, this time, Jonah said, I'm going to Nineveh. And he went to Nineveh. So that's good, good, Jonah, you did good. So Jonah, he goes to Nineveh, and it's this great city. It's like 120,000 people, and that's huge back in them days. And he walks around, and he begins to, to preach. He says, God is fixing to push the red button and shebang this whole place in 40 days because of your wickedness. And when they hear that truth, as hard as it was to listen to, These people repented. They began to throw up dust and put on their burlap suits and stuff and tear their clothes, and they repented before God, and God saved the whole city. God changed his mind and said, because you repented before me, I'm saving you all. What a wonderful story. God spared the whole city because one person was faithful to his calling after a long time in the wrong direction. What a wonderful story. Isn't that a a picture of God's mercy in the world. I wish the story would have just ended there. But there's some ugliness yet to be examined. If you'll turn to the fourth chapter of Jonah, we'll start in the first verse. Well, when Jonah saw that God was no longer going to blow up the city, It says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. I think that's on your sheet somewhere. Why did did Jonah become angry? I mean, this is a time for rejoicing. He went in, he preached, and they listened to his message, and they repented. But no, he's angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. He said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish." I know that you're a merciful and a compassionate God and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Kill me now, Lord. Just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. What's he saying? What did he predict? He said God's going to blow this city up in 40 days. And now he's worried more about what he said but not coming true. He would rather see the wicked being destroyed, then saved. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? If you go on down to the 11th verse, God concludes this book by saying, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's God's heart. He looks down. I mean, it says he's, he saw the animals. He saw the people lost, and he even cared about the animals. He didn't want to destroy the city for the animals' sake. That's tender compassion, tender mercy. But what are we, th- what are we to conclude about this Jonah fella? I mean, in one sense, he's got a sense of righteousness. God, you know, did call him because he showed some potential. He understood right and wrong. But he doesn't seem a lot like God as far as compassion goes, does he? And we got a lot of Christians today that don't show a lot of compassion. Man, we've got saved and we know what's right now, and we're eager to put it on Facebook what's right and condemn everybody that's wrong without thinking about you know, is that pushing them away, or, or, or am I setting them up for it? Now, there's, there's time to preach the truth. Yes, we always preach the truth. The difference is, are we preaching it with love? Are we preaching it because, you know, were we those that hang, hang those signs up on the street corner saying, all so-and-sos are going to hell like we want them to? <clears throat> there's a difference in the way you speak the truth, isn't it? You can speak the truth and it just be dripping with disdain and hatred. And that's not God's truth. That's not the, the spirit in which it was given, is it? Tuesdays, every other Tuesday now, we have a what we call a pastor prayer conference where I, Pastor Vickers, and a couple other pastors from other passion churches, we get together on a conference call. And boy, we crank up them Hondas and Shundays and... Hyundai's, and, and we get begin to practice, uh, pray together, and uh, often Pastor Vickers would give us a topic to pray out, and I was here in the front of the church by myself, and they were on the phone, and he began to say, let's pray out things about the Middle East, and he told so-and-so pastor to preach about giving them moderate governments, stable governments, he told somebody else to preach about, uh, you know, the violence and, and the terrorists, and, and then he told me to preach about the Syrian refugees. You, everybody familiar with the Syrian refugees? Syria has is, is fallen into civil war. Hundreds of thousands of people have been killed. And there are people running for their life, you know, just to get out of the war-torn area. Well, I knew my handy-dandy talking points on the Syrian refugees because I'd learned them from my news station, my favorite news station. I knew what to say, you know. So I, I knew the way I felt about Syrian refugees. We don't want them here, right? They're embedded with ISIS. You know, we know it's just a Trojan horse. We know it's a trick of the enemy. We don't want those people here. They're Muslims. Get it? Don't let them in here. But it's funny. The moment I began to pray, and I got out of my head, and off my talking points, and, and, and began to pray in the Spirit, suddenly my talking points sounded a little jonah <laughs> You know, Jonah-ish. It sounded a little harsh. It sound, I, I couldn't say it. It wouldn't come out of my mouth. I began to pray things. I heard my own voice saying things like, "Help us show compassion and mercy for every living soul. Lord, help us beyond our politics. Lord, help our government learn how to vet these people properly so we can get the, the ones who really need help into the country. There's ways to, you know you't we're so one-sided. We're so polarized. It's like you got the Democrats over here and the Republicans over here, and they're at it, and they will not compromise. You know what I'm saying? Can't we think for ourselves? Maybe there's a way. Maybe God could do something. Maybe he could bring them over here safely, and it would be an opportunity for us to show them uh, something different than the darkness they have grown up in. And, sh- and man, they would be prime if we somebody were to reach out and to love them and show them compassion. They might turn from their wicked ways, like Nineveh. Just an idea, and I begin to pray that out, and I begin to quote like Ephesians two twelve, that basically says there was a time when we too were aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel, strangers without hope, without God in this land. You know, just a paraphrase I'm saying, but that's what I begin to pray out. There was a time when I was an alien. Not to the United States, but to the kingdom of God. And God reached out to me. There was a time when I was dangerous to his kingdom. When I came into his kingdom, I was so dumb, I did a lot of damage. But he still welcomed me in. I don't know. I I may be upsetting people here today. I, I don't mean to. But what I'm saying is, we need to lead by love. Lead with love. Isn't that what Jesus did? He spoke the truth. There's no question. He spoke the truth. But he always did it in love. The tr- he spoke the truth because the truth will set you free. And he wanted to set the, the people that were captive free. He didn't speak it to put them into more bondage. He spoke the truth that they may be set free. And we need to remember Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What is priority in our life as Christians? You see, this message hurt me because I had examined the way I had begun to think about certain people groups. I'm no different than anyone else. I can, I can get angry. And there's plenty of reason to get angry. I understand anger. But we have to rise above. We've been called higher than that. We can't be a MSNBC Democrat first and then a Christian. We can't be a Fox News Republican first and then a Christian. If so, we're espousing political spin over our biblical worldview. We can't let the world tell us what to believe about people. We have to filter everything that we think through the Word of God. I know it's the hard way, but nobody said, they said it was a narrow way. And few there be that find it. Anybody can get mad at people and hate people and be judgmental. Even Christians that have the Spirit. But we have to walk in the Spirit. We have to. Andy Stanley wisely noted about whether uh, what Jesus thinks, is he a Republican or is he a Democrat? He said Jesus didn't come down here to take sides. Jesus came down here to take over that his kingdom may rule and reign. He ain't excited about Republican platform or the Democrat platform. He's excited about the kingdom of God, and as his children, we must understand we're ambassadors. We're just ambassadors here. We're just here to tell other people about the kingdom. We have to be kingdom-minded, kingdom first. Pastor Andy also said that he'd never seen anybody on their deathbed asking, would you please quote me portions of the Constitution. Really, in the thick of things, I'm an American. I'm a patriotic person. I would die for this country. Yes. Matthew twenty two, thirty-seven. Jesus tells us what's important. He says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. There you go. That's the greatest commandment. Love. Love. So simple, but we just read over it like, oh, I've heard that all my life. I hear that every week in church. Love the Lord. But that is the greatest commandment. And then it says the second one is equally important. Well, that's the one we need to listen to because... Maybe we hadn't been paying attention to that one as much. Equally important as loving God? What could possibly be equally important as loving God? That's first and foremost, so obviously. Equally important? What does it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, I do that. I live in the cove with Joe, man. I mowed his yard last week. Me and Joe get along fine. There was some smart aleck there when Jesus taught this. He said, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus went into the parable about the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. There was this Jewish guy, and he was on his way from one city to the other, and he got knocked off by some bandits, and they beat him and left him for dead on the side of the road, naked, hurt, and, and took all his money and all his stuff. And then it says a couple of religious Jews came by, one a Pharisee, one a priest or something, they, they saw him on the other side of the road, and, uh, man, get, get yourself straight and walked on. But it says a despised Samaritan. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with one another. They hated each other. It was a racist thing between the two. They didn't like each other. They wouldn't even go into each other's houses or anything, had no dealings. But a Samaritan saw that man laying there and had compassion on him. And he kneeled down, and he dressed his wounds, and he put him on his donkey, and he rode him to an inn, and paid for his care, and gave money to pay for his care longer. Jesus said, which one of these people do you think was the neighborly one? It was the Samaritan. He, says, he would say, go and do Likewise. Stop judging people by the way they look on the outside. Do you know we don't wrestle against flesh and blood? We have this hatred for people, people groups, some of us. We have this animosity towards the way they do things or whatever. But we're, and they may be wrong. I'll give it to you. I, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of wrong out there. But we're not wrestling against those people. They're being controlled by wicked spirits and evil and rulers of the darkness and spiritual wickedness and heavenly places and all those kind of things. We have to understand that they're just being motivated. They don't know no better. Sinners sin, and that's what they do by nature. And we were too once sinners. It was only by the grace of God that we are what we are, that we know better now. When His Spirit came in, then we had light. Then we had illumination. Then we had understanding. But before that, we didn't. We were just like them. So why should we care about a bunch of Muslim refugees? Same reason God cares about the Ninevites. It's what love does. They're people. They're people that Jesus sacrificed his life for. And we have to see them that way. That was hard for me to swallow because I had my talking points down. And I can be a manly man and say, no, we're not having that in our country. And I can be, you know, patriotic and, a, and say all these things. But when it comes down to it, I'm a Christian first, and I have to live out of this. Is this a good Mother's Day message or what? <laughs> it, hey, it ain't through yet, so hold on. <laughs> it's just good and good. <laughs> so how do we begin to care about our enemies? It doesn't come natural. It doesn't. It never comes natural. Some of you may be saying, yeah, but those Syrians, man, they're dangerous. We can't let them into our country. This will happen. We might get hurt. People might be killed. Since when did danger ever scare Christians from witnessing for Jesus? Have we become so polluted with the things of the world that we would would cease to witness because somebody may be angry with us or somebody may say something or, or we may be physically harmed. I've seen, I've seen people from this church walk into some places, in some situations. I've been in some situations. that I, If it wasn't by the grace of God, I wouldn't have been there. Oh, how did I get myself? I walked into a crack house one time, knocking on doors, and uh, it was like a trailer park, and a guy opened the door and looked at me funny. and He said, hold on or something. And I thought he said, come in. And I walk up in there, and they were like pulling guns. Ho, 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 now, ho, what were you doing in here? And they had drugs all on the table. And I was saying, oh, man, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm just here to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> you know, and they softened up, you know, and I was able to talk to them for a moment. I didn't get the heck out of there. <laughs> but we cannot be afraid. We have to believe that God is with us and that he can protect us. We, we can't be afraid. We have, if you want to man up, that's what you need to man up about. So, how do we do this? We let the love of God compel us. How do we love our enemies? Uh, we, we think about what, how Jesus treated people. You know, Jesus had enemies everywhere he went. And he didn't do nothing wrong. He had every right to be, you know, angry or whatever, frustrated with people. But he, he loved them all. And love does that. It thanks the best of folks, doesn't it? It says it in 1 Corinthians 13. It thanks no evil. It hopes the best for folks. And I've been talking about this in the last couple of weeks. For some reason, it, maybe we had not got it yet, but love is willing to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, so to speak. It, you remember I talked about the golfer, how he, before he putts, professionals will line it up. He'll see the angles and the flows and and a really good golfer, if it's an important puddle, come around on the other side of the hole just to see it from a different point of view. And That's what we must be willing to take those steps, to come around and to see the other person's point of view, to see how come they are like they are. Now, I'm, Pastor, you're a bleeding-heart liberal. You're, you're, you're turning us into a bunch of wimps. No, I'm not. I'm saying if you know what they've gone through, then you might be able to have a little compassion. It's wrong, but the Syrians, they were indoctrinated as children to hate Israel, to hate the West. That's what they were taught in their their textbooks. That's what they prayed at night. Kill the Israelis. Kill the Americans. Their religion that was forced upon them calls for killing all infidels. That is how they grew up. That's, That's what they know. They haven't been told different. How different may we have turned out if we were put in that same environment? Would we have? Oh, I would have seen through that. Would we? No, I don't think any of us would. We we're a product of what we were. We have experienced. If we don't have the, the the spirit of God in us, so I've gone deep. Let's go a little deeper. Let's talk about. The homosexual community. Such animosity between the LBGT community and the church. Yeah, but pastor, they're constantly needling us. They're parading their sin. Oh, and it is sin. They're in sin, yes. They're chipping away at the morals of our society. They're suing us. They're basically trying to run Christians out of America. I'll give it. Yeah, that's true. So what do we do? Despise them? Some churches have said, well, you know, they've just kind of gone along with the culture. And, uh, you know, our morals in America today say it's okay. You know, so maybe we, t- well, Jesus just loves us like we are. Come on in. And they just compromise the word of God. And, and they, they don't tell them the truth. If you don't tell somebody the truth, how are they going to be set free? If you tell them they're okay when they're really not, what's going to happen? They're going to die in a lie. So we can't do that. We never, that's on your sheet. I wrote that. Never do we compromise the word of God. What it says about homosexuality is an abomination. Clearly. I'm not saying that. But if we were to line up the putt from their side, from their point of view, let's just look at what they may think. I don't know. This just came to me. But they may think that clearly the Christians haven't treated us with the same compassion as they have other sinners. They have acted like homosexuality is worse than adultery, fornication. They've got fornicators in the church, but they won't even let us in the door. Hmm. We we have. We have acted like homosexuality is this unpardonable sin and we feel some. they feel like we've treated them like lepers and all of them have AIDS and that we could get contaminated just by being in their mere presence. That's the way they feel. They, they, that's their talking points. That's the way they see the Christian church. I'm just saying, stand in their shoes for a moment and you can see why they're angry. Not that they're justified, but that they are angry. Whether it's true of all Christians or not, Homosexuals talking points conclude that Christians don't espouse the same values as Jesus and we seem like hypocrites to them. And so we've become their enemy. Oh, and they're a good enemy too, man. <laughs> they're a vicious enemy, and I get as mad as probably you do when I I hear the things they say and the things that they're the way they're chipping away at everything decent here in America. Oh, I, I get angry. But did Jesus say return evil for evil? If they make us mad, let's make them mad. Did he say that light overcomes dark? Did he say that love overcomes evil or hatred? What is our warfare? To return evil for evil? I don't think so. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If the LBGT community can't turn to the church for help in their time of need, where are they going to go? If a sinner wants to take a step towards God but knows the church is off limits, where do they go? They, run to, they flock to these false churches, these compromised churches, because the true The Christians with the truth won't stand up and love somebody like Jesus? When a homosexual enters our door, and there may be somebody here today, will we treat them just like we treat anybody else willing to take a step towards God? Will we treat them the same? When did the church stop being a hospital? and begin to hate the sick. We're a hospital of hope. Mark 2, 16. Jesus Jesus tells us, like Jonah, we we don't have the authority to write anybody off. Who gave us the authority to write somebody off? Jonah thought he could write off the Ninevites. God, I'm not doing it. I don't agree with them. God said, I don't care what you agree with. I'm the king in this kingdom. And when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. And and you know what? We're all, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all were sick at one time. He's saying not those who think they're right. Those who think they're right are so wrong. In other words, you're all in the same boat, but I'm coming to those who realize they're sick. And I don't want Jesus to see any of us acting like Pharisees. To heaven... A cold heart. Matthew twenty-three, thirteen says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you won't go in yourself, and you don't even let others enter in. That's the way we do when we shut up the, our bowels of compassion and do not welcome the sinner into the church. After World War II in Japan... Japan was devastated. You know, the nuclear bombs or the t- atomic bombs were dropped on them, and that was just a little taste of it. I mean, their other cities were demolished with uh, bombs as well. They were completely defeated, and they were devastated because their religion, most of them practiced, was like Shinto or something like that, as a form of Buddhism, and it told them that Japan was the center of the universe. And they even considered their emperor as a god. And so when they were forced to sign a, uh, what do you call it? Re- no. Did I write it down? Surrender. When they were forced to to sign a, the surrender, they were disillusioned. They were like, what? I thought we were Japan. They grew up their whole life thinking that they were they were God's people. And you know who it was? It was General Douglas MacArthur. He was the one largely responsible for whooping Japan in the first place. But he saw in them a void, a vacuum in the nation of Japan after World War II. He said he did something amazing. A military general. He called for America and he said... For the American churches to send Christian missionaries, if we don't, they'll fill this vacuum with communism or something else worse. So he called for, he saw the need in the Japan people. They were at a point of desperation. And that's where people most often have to be before they'll receive Christ. So he calls, a general calls for the church. And the church responded, "Eh." some went, but a lot of the churches in America could not get past the idea that the Japanese were low-life enemies, not worthy of Christ. And guess what? Today, because of the church's inability to rise to the occasion, less than 1% in Japan considers themselves a born-again Christian, one of the lowest ratios in the world of Christianity. Also, They did a poll recently. 11% of Japanese say they wish they had never been born. That's so sad. The church did not rise when they were called upon. They've got the highest rate of suicide, one of the highest rates in the world. And we had the opportunity after World War II, but we missed our shot. Let's don't miss anymore. Let's wake up to kingdom things. You know, when I was used to visit my granddad down in Shaw, Mississippi, he had all these pecan trees, and I was a young man, and we'd had those little picker uppers, you know, that you stabbed the pecans and you'd put them in a five gallon bucket, and we'd go around and we'd pick up all these pecans that come off the tree, and when we got most of them up, my granddaddy would look at me, hey, boy, get up there in that tree and shake that thing out. And so I'd climb, shimmy up the tree, and I'd get up on there, start jumping up and down like a rabid monkey, you know. And and sure enough, pecans would just go. And we would shake that tree until we shook all the, the pecans off of it. And then we'd get twice as much. Hebrews 12, 26 says this. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. God is shaking the world. He's shaking the church. Do you agree? He's shaking the world out of its comfort zones. If he didn't, how else would Muslims ever come to Saving Faith in the Lord Jesus? Without all that unrest, without some of them having to come over to different nations as refugees, without them seeing what they're False religion and the darkness they're living in. Without seeing that firsthand, how would they ever know to reach out for something else? See, God shakes things. He's like, come on, guys. You guys need to wake up over here. And today he's shaking this church. Wake up. Because there are people that I'm shaking, and, and there's fruit falling on the ground, and I need you to pick it up before it rots on the ground like Japan did back in 1950s. In the 40s. We've been called to influence people for eternity's sake. That's what Christians, that's your job title. Influencer for the kingdom of God. Nobody has a right to be hesitant or to complain or have a bad attitude like Jonah did. Just do what God says. Do what's right. Let love lead you. We can't write anybody off because of their politics. America itself is so divided right now. Boy, I tell you what, Democrats and Republicans, and there's such a great divide. Our nation is divided, and, and a nation divided against itself cannot stand for long. We're, we're beginning to hate one another here in America, and we know that, that that's the trick of the enemy to to divide and conquer, and he's doing it through the media, he's doing it through, you know, politics, he's doing it through some, and we're falling for it. Why are we falling for it? Don't we have greater knowledge? Don't we have, know a better way? Why are we falling for it and letting hatred and all these things grow in our heart? We can't write people off because of politics, religious beliefs, sexual orientation, nationality, or whatever sin that they may be in or any other reason. We don't have the authority to write anybody off. And we must never give up our influence as witnesses for Christ for some earthly spin that just feels good on our flesh. I know, I mean, I, I hear some people railing on this and railing on that, and I want to get in there with them. Yeah, let's get them, you know. Woo. It's on like Donkey Kong. But we must filter everything through the Word of God. And we must lead with love. I know I hit on some touchy subjects today. I may have trampled all over your talking points. Maybe something you were talking about before church. Maybe something I was talking about before church. But I hope this message, and I believe God's purpose for this message was to touch a deeper place in our hearts. Because if people can't turn to the church of the living God, where can they go? Where are they going to go? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Revelation 7-9's paraphrase says that before the throne of God, there will be people of all nations, kindreds, people and tongues. There'll be all kinds of people there. You know, there might just be some homo- former homosexuals in heaven because the church reached out. There might even be some ISIS terrorist that th- finally saw for the first time that love is better than hate because the church reached out and led with love. So there we were on the playground, and I had my bat. Mama had her six iron. <laughs> probably still got it today. What happened? Well, the other neighborhood was smart enough to send a sentry on a go-kart to see how many of us it was. And when they came around that corner and saw that huge crowd of adults and teenagers, he said, Roo! he went back and we didn't see that neighborhood ever again in our neighborhood. Why, not, why is that story important? If we can gather, I, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. I missed my cue. Some of you... They don't come here all the time. I've got stupid things I say all the time. Uh, but if we could come together for such a dumb cause, for such a meaningless cause, what could happen if the church of God came together and we all got our six irons and, and, our, and we began to whoop on the devil? Man, we could run him out of America. We could run him out of this world if we would just take our authority and stand together for, for righteousness, for the right thing. Does anybody in here think I'm, I'm saying... Compromise with sin? If I left anybody unsure about that? I'm just saying, love. Speak the truth in love. Everything will work out. Well, that concludes this day's message.